Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome along to the Big Red Bench with me, Valerie Wheeler on Cork's Red FM. I am with you until 7pm tonight. We have a very busy show. So this week, Rory and myself caught up with Ireland's fastest woman, that is Phil Healy, Cork woman, on her recent success. And we're going to look ahead to what's next for Phil. So you can hear part one of that tonight and you can hear the rest tomorrow night with Rory on the bench from 6pm. During the week, it was International Women's Day this week and we're going from one inspiration to the woman um, to the next. It is referee and former Ireland captain, Joy Neville, joins me. Uh, this is a chat you do not want to miss. Um, Ireland earned Six Nations action tomorrow. We've Andy Farrell, we've forwards coach Paul O'Connell and we have captain Johnny Sexton. And don't forget, Premier League preview with Colm O'Sullivan and Ronnie Whelan. So we've all that and more on the bench between now and seven. Good afternoon and welcome along to the bench with me, Valerie Wheeler, with you until 7 o'clock. We've plenty to get through, so let's get through the sports news of the day. Uh, Wales' quest to win this year's Guinness Six Nations with a Grand Slam remains on track. They have beaten Italy 48 points to 7 in Rome this afternoon and their final game against France is next weekend. Um, to the football, Crystal Palace have beaten regulation, relegation strugglers West Brom 1-0 in their Premier League game at Selhurst Park. Chelsea, meanwhile, remain unbeaten since being taken over by new manager Thomas Tuchel back in January. They did drop points this afternoon, though, which may prove crucial in the race for Champions League qualification. They drew nil all with Leeds at lunchtime. Uh, with the result, they remain fourth, but just three points clear of West Ham, who have now two games in hand. So uh, Tuchel afterwards did feel it was a fair result against a tough opposition. We had a couple of chances to go 1-0 ahead and in the end, of course, they, they trouble you, they put pressure on you and, and the more minutes you need to make a goal, the more they believe. It's normal, but uh, there were enough chances, yeah, but sometimes it's like this, uh, we cannot, I don't want to be too, too harsh now. It happens sometimes that it's hard to score. At the half-five game, Burnley are 2-0 uh, to Everton, which is currently ongoing. We'll keep you updated with the score on that. And Republic of Ireland captain Seamus Colan is on the bench for them. So um, in the late game, then later on, Manchester City are away to Fulham. Also good news for Ireland. Uh, Republic of Ireland teenager Troy Parrott scored his first senior goal this afternoon. The Dubliner found the back of the net for Ipswich in the fourth minute of their League One clash. Now over to golf. Shane Lowry is three under par through four holes of his third round at the Players' Championship. That leaves the Offaly native in tie for 26 and he is six shots off the lead. Uh, Englishman Lee Westwood holds that lead by one stroke on nine under. Um, he's off since quarter to five. I think that was on since. Um, in hockey, it was match one of the Softco series today for the ladies. Um, it's a three-part series, but it's been nearly 497 days since the Irish women's squad played their last international match on home soil. Um, a cold and rotten day in Queen's University in Belfast and the team returned to the pitch in good form. A penalty from Roisin Upton putting them in the lead, but unfortunately Great Britain finished 2-1. The second match of that series takes place tomorrow at 5 o'clock and you can watch the coverage, which I did so today on RT uh, from 4.30, which is great. It's great that they're getting the coverage. Now, I did mention earlier on the start of the show, uh, this week, it's rare that myself and Rory get to join up together and do interviews, but we did and we caught up with Ireland's fastest woman, Phil Healy. This is part one of the chat and you can hear part two tomorrow night with Rory from 6pm. So let's take a little listen. All right, we're joined uh, on the line now by Phil Healy. Phil, first off, thanks a million for coming on with us on the Big Red Bench. 
Oh, I'm delighted to be on and um, thanks a million for having me on. It's uh, always a pleasure to be on Cork Radio for a change. <laughs> well, Khmer, um, a PB at the European Indoors, you must be absolutely buzzing with that. 100% like championship racing is different so like it necessarily doesn't always produce the quickest of times but to make my first senior major final to come forth and to do a PB in the process like I'm absolutely buzzing and uh, there's so much I can take from European Indoor Championships um, last weekend into the summer and the big summer that it is going to be. I mean, it is the quickest time possible in your life in a championship final. And a lot of people might be like, but you became fourth. But I think a lot of people are obsessed with maybe winning medals. And to you, you still came away with a massive positive. A hundred percent. And across all sports in Ireland, I think success is measured on winning or losing. And if you bring home a medal or if you don't bring home a medal or like even when we're coming back in the airport, someone asked us, how did we get on? And um, one of the team members was pointing at me and they were like oh she came fourth and he was like well it's not a medal is it and like that's what it, um, success in Ireland is measured on but like it was I gave it my all there was nothing more that I could do I ran the fastest time that I've ever done so I produced the I saw an article before um, I raced that I needed to produce the uh, race of my life and that's what I did because it was a messy race um, finals are always going to be messy everyone is fighting for their spots but like even the girl behind me was ranked number two in Europe um, all season long and she was favoured for the silver um, without a doubt but when it comes to a championship anything can happen and to produce a PV in the final I couldn't ask for more Just coming down that back straight Phil um, on the last lap there's a lot of jockeying for positions you feel that cost you a bit of time? And like that's what comes in indoors like and the indoors there is so much unknown and everyone crosses in after 150 meters in the first lap but I had to put myself in contention and like even our splits to through 200 were the quickest I've ever done in a race um, and the quickest a lot of those competitors have done as well but it was messy and come the 300 mark down that back straight I did um, have to step out slightly and maybe that was something that caught me but I was in contention all the time and I fought right to the line and I passed um the Dutch girl on that final straight but look anything happening indoors I've had my um, disaster days indoors with people falling in front of me people clipping me behind um, it's just part of the entertainment that comes with it as well Does tactics play a big part on the day Phil or are you going in there going right I, you have certain things you need to do or do tactics go out the window They do have a part to play and like I did discuss it with Shane my coach and we tried to play every scenario um, through but when you're in the race you just have to act on your feet and react um, and that's what was needed because um, Jodie Williams the British girl came from the inside um, we knew that was going to happen because she gave her tactics away in the bus on the way to the stadium um, <laughs> but like yeah you just have to act on your feet but you have to put yourself in contention and you need that speed to make it to the bell in the best possible position properly um, for the for the first lap because it is hard to pass on that second lap but maybe more so in the from 800 1500 tactics are more to play um, with 400 you just have to act on your feet and uh, put yourself in contention right from the beginning Speaking of your coach Shane McCormick he wasn't there in person at the weekend were you in constant contact with him on WhatsApp and Zoom and stuff like that and how much of an impact was him not being there how much of an impact did that have on you? Yeah, so this, it was very strange for me because Shane has been coaching me for the last seven years and this is probably his fourth race that he's ever missed. Um, so that was something that was going to be new to me, but I wasn't going to let that get the better of me because of, 
I had to just overcome it and everyone was without their personal coaches over there because of restrictions but I was in contact with Shane um, all the time even right up before I went in to call him for the final I told him that I was ready to rock it into my message so um, yeah it, like, it was hard for him more so watching it on television and not being there but um, with the contact that I had he might as well have been there because um, I wasn't touched the whole time but it was a different scenario but look it's a trial run, I'd say, for what's to come during the summer because I'd say it's going to play out the exact same way. So it's just about getting used to that and um, not letting it overcome me as such. Do you think you possibly maybe rely on him a bit more or maybe feel like you need to rely on him a bit more when he's not there? Do you think you'd be in more contact with him and he'd be talking to you a bit more to get you more motivated? Um, like, it's hard to know when he says maybe it's a sign that he should stay away more often. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Look, we were in touch the whole time and like it's such a short window as well with the with the competing. Like I raced on Friday morning, was back out on Friday evening, so we would have been in touch to discuss how the heat went before the semi final and discussing who's in the semi final and then um try to sleep as much as I could on Saturday before going out Saturday evening and discussing it again. But um I probably had yeah, I did definitely have an awful lot of contact with him over the phone um before I went out, but um no, it was it became our normal as such. Um, with the way that I was out there and I was prepared perfectly and I wasn't fearing anything going in by not having him there. Phil, running two races in a day in your heat in your semi-final, how hard is it to, to get up to race, be get back down, then get back up and then come back down for the final? Like, definitely people underestimate and think that, oh, sure, look, you're, you can come out and race as many times as you want, but like, so my heat was on Friday morning and I would have gotten up at quarter to eight and I didn't race the semi-final on quarter to eight again that night. Mm. So like, that's a long day and it's a lot of nervous energy. Like you're on a caffeine high after the heat, impossible to sleep in between, but you just have to try and rest. Um, and then you have to get back out there and go back to the stadium again for um, the semi-final. And it is a short window by the time you get physio treatments, come back, get rested, eat, and you have to go again. And it's the same for um, the semi-final because I knew I needed to get a COVID test um, the day of the semi or the day of the final, but I tried to get it on the, the night after the semi-final so I didn't have to get up the morning of the final. So that was um, planning that needed to be done and I got to sleep in then the morning of the final and it's just about resting up and preparing again. What is it like now being part of that atmosphere, getting COVID tests, having the mask, the social distancing? It's all a very strange and surreal experience now when you're in competition mode. 100% and look, everybody is in the same position and I know it did get the better of some people, but it is weird because like even in call room, you're wearing a mask, it's roasting inside there, it's hard to breathe and you finish a race and it's hard enough to breathe after a 400, not a mind with the heat that's inside in the stadium and then put on the mask straight away. But um, it'll be our new norm having the COVID test look we're very privileged to um, be in the position to get to race so if it takes um, so many COVID tests uh, before we go during there and when we come back um, any athlete will do it um, if they get to be put in the position where they can compete at the top level Phil, for your final on Saturday night, were you aware of the the level of support that was coming from home? I mean, like my entire Twitter feed was filled with filled with like "Go on, Phil!" hashtag Balanine Bullet for the entire evening. Yeah. Were you aware of all that before you went out for the final? Like, I actually didn't like become um, as aware of how much support there was until after the final. Like, I was getting tagged in loads of tweets and Instagram stories and different things like that, but 
to see the level of support after the final was absolutely crazy and it was a credit to RTE and the coverage that David Gillick, Rob Heffernan and Derville gave us to promote the sport because it's such a minority sport but we definitely gained an awful lot of new fans over the weekend and it certainly gave people such a lift back um, in Ireland but to see the local support and everybody in Cork and just all around Ireland in general it was great to have especially in the times that we're in um, and we certainly underestimated the level of support um, over and it was great to see it and it gave the team a massive lift. Something else I think that we've all seen since is a lovely picture of yourself and Orla Cronin. I mean, the West Cork are really flying the flag. Orla getting her all-star. I mean, you with the new PB. I mean, Phil, that picture was so lovely to see from Inneskeen National School. Absolutely, and it's gone uh, viral since. And Orla literally lives down the road from me and I would have picked Camogie with Orla the whole way up. But it's a credit to Orla in the year that it was in um, to get an all-star and um, all the achievements that she has achieved along the way and then an all-star being the pinnacle um, to achieve. But no, it's like, it highlights more of West Cork and I'm always saying the talent that's in West Cork across all sports, but really it is. And sometimes people don't realise the depth of talent across all sports. Like we've got Olympic medals to the highest level across um, a number of sports. So it is great to see and all the coverage that it does get in Kieran McCarthy, certainly down in West Cork promoted on the start. Certainly so, yeah. Um, just looking ahead for the summer and the Olympics, is the 200 the focus or is the 400 going to have an equal focus or are you just mostly focusing on the 200? Yeah, so the 200 is certainly the main focus um, and I'm qualified for the Olympics in that at the moment. So with the qualification system, they take the top 56 ranked athletes in the world and currently I'm 29th. So I just need to secure where my position is at the moment and we're certainly going to give it a shot for the 400 as well. The two events don't clash out in Tokyo. So um, as we look ahead into the summer, that's definitely going to be a name, but the 200 will take the majority of focus. What's the qualification process? It's the average, isn't it? Isn't it the average at the moment, Phil, isn't it? Yeah, so the qualification system has changed. So like if we looked at the 2012 qualification system or the 2016, I would be qualified, um, I think it is three times in each event, in the 200 and the 400, based on the standards that they have. But that's scrapped as such now, and they take a ranking system, so they take an aggregate of your five best times, and certain races bring um, a certain weighting and bonus points for the points that you can collect at at the different races. So it really comes down to picking the best possible races where you can pick up the most points, and obviously producing a quick time, and Indoors carries a bigger weighting of points than outdoors, and you can carry two indoor times into outdoors. So um, it does um, set me up nicely. But with the two times that I've got from European indoors, all I need is three more outdoor 400 races, and uh, hopefully that will take care of business. Right, that was Phil Healy, part one. You will hear the rest of that chat tomorrow evening on the Big Red Bench from Rory from six o'clock. Also, plenty more, but what's next for Phil? And luckily enough, we did see during the week that some um, athlete from that trip did test positive for COVID. But luckily enough, Phil wasn't travelling with that group, so she is fine. Um, now, as I mentioned, this week it was International Women's Day on Monday and I caught up with some inspirational Irish women for Shine Festival, which was the biggest gathering of virtual gathering of Irish women. I did speak to Joy Neville and I think this interview will stick with me for a long time. Um, I just think Joy's, I suppose, love for the sport is so affectious and her attitude towards life and sport. Let's take a listen. This is Joy Neville. We all know as a referee and she's former Ireland captain. Oh, not at all. Thanks, Valerie. Thanks for having me. Plenty of fond memories in the green jersey. 
Yeah, plenty of fond memories. I suppose, you know, I, I retired in 2013. Um, going into that grandson game, I knew I was hanging up the boots, not for a second, thinking that I would be picking up the whistle in uh, in starting a referee, a refereeing career as I, as I have done. But um, no, I miss it. I miss my pals, um, you know, the camaraderie and, and the team that you, you have around you and the support. And um, yeah, but... You know, I suppose now I'm in, I'm in a, di- a different cap on as as a, an official. Did winning that year not make you maybe go, is it the right time to hang up my boots? Should I give it one more go? Yeah, good question. Well, like, I suppose at that stage I was 11 years playing and just my body was taking three, four days to recover. And I met my now wife um, and your priorities change. And for so many years, that was my life. And, um, and I loved it. And I, you know, I have no regrets whatsoever. Um, but I think, you know, when you know, you know, and, and, and that, at that point, I knew going to that Grand Slam game, that that would have been my last game. And um, I was excited going into it. And I was excited for the new chapter, which actually turned out to be a completely different chapter sat here today with um, I suppose achieving everything that I have from an official capacity yeah I mean what a way to end your rugby career on such a high but what age did you take up playing rugby because I know we spoke to Fiona as well for her other shine interviews and she was quite late to the party I mean it was um, when she joined UL so it was such a late time for her to be joining and for her to achieve what she's what age were you when you picked it up yeah, Fiona started when she was 44, so she's done well. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if she said a couple of um, nasty things about me, so I'm getting in there early. Um, I started when I was 17. I suppose back then the development wasn't there to the degree that it is to this day. Um, but I always wanted to play, and I had four. I have four older brothers, and my mum always wanted, um, you know, a little baby girl, and uh, she had a fifth child as a tomboy. So... Um, so look, I loved all sports, but I remember being out in the back garden playing rugby with the boys and colliding with one of them and, and you know, feeling a sensation running down my face and my my nose was literally splat onto onto my right side of my cheek and completely broken and a week later put under um, to get it fixed. And that was even before I started playing and I knew I loved the sport. So I was 17 my first game. And it was six months after that that I got onto the Munster team. And it was six months after that that I, that I um, thankfully got selected for the Irish women's team. I did read somewhere, I think it was the same brother that broke your nose that said you'd go on to captain your country. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember my first game and I, I have a lot to thank the boys for because they never treated me any different. And I suppose that gave me the confidence to be in, in, in the male-dominated environment that I'm in. And and I suppose they never they never questioned that I couldn't achieve anything. Um, they always take credit for um, for toughening me up. Like um, I never forget another time we were down the local park and I was in goals. They used to put me in goals initially until I I pr- proved myself until I got on midfield. But this time I was in goals and um, and I saved saved a ball. But like instantly I felt pain and, and my thumb was facing my 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 face. So I completely dislocated. It. And it was back in the day. It was about 16, 17 years ago. It was back in the day when there was there was not really any taxis and if you were to call one, it would cost a, a lot and um, and there was, was few and far between but um, mum and dad weren't there so and we couldn't get a taxi uh, so my brother Gary, he was about 17, decided to pop it back into place and and what a splendid job that he's done to this day, like it's it's still not right so oh, certainly they take credit for toughening me up and between that and many other things, um, yeah, certainly they did. 
But when Dave went to that first game, he said to me, you know, you, after that game with Jody, do you know what, you'll play for Ireland and not only that, will you, you're going to captain your side. And he said, but for, if you're going to do that, you need to work on your tackle technique. And he was he was uh, 16. He was a teenager at the time. And I remember a couple of days later, we went down to the local park and we practiced for hours and end and literally stumbled back home, you know, extremely sore. But, you know, they're, they're the things that I'll always remember in, in the support the boys gave me in, in achieving what I've achieved to this day, I suppose. So I'm very thankful to them. I mean, even you showing us your your the way your thumb is now after your brothers. I mean, what a lovely story to share at the same time as being a bit weird. You know, they are nice stories to have. They're foreign memories, but then things change for you. You know, you hung up the boots, but then you decided to pick them back up again. And you thought, oh, my God, I'm going to get a referee going. So someone came to you and they said, right, Joy, we want you to be a referee. And you were like, no way. Yeah, I, look, I had no more interest in the man on the moon. The girls always slagged me because I was always the one who, you know, we had a rugby analysis, uh, referee analysis who came in the year that we won the Grand Slam and certainly he had a massive part with us improving our discipline. But the, the joke used to always be on me because, uh, Joy, you got away with being offside there. Joy, you got to, you know. And I suppose as you gain experience, you learn how to manipulate the referee and but I never thought for a second I would be a referee. So Dave McHugh rang me up. Uh, he was uh, he, he he refereed in three World Cups himself. And uh, I said, Dave, I said, I'm after giving a decade of dedication and commitment to the game. You like I need to enjoy my new chapter now. Like at least give me a couple of months to enjoy my family and and be there for their moments because they've always been there for my moments. And he he said, look, there's something there. He reckons, and I'm going to ring you in seven, eight, nine months and nearly to the day, like eight months later, he rang me. So I said, right, this man means business. So I rang a guy up, someone I really respected in the rugby circles um, and he was quite high up um, and I just wanted to know one question. Was it possible for a female to referee in the top division in Ireland, the, the All-Ireland League, the Gary Owens, the Young Monsters, the Corcans, um, the Lansdowns? And he said, Joy, not my lifetime. And this guy was in his mid-50s. So that was a pretty big statement. Um so I said, we finished our conversation and put the phone down and picked it back up to Dave McHugh. And I said, yeah, I'm in. Um, and I suppose, you know, when, when we, we take up a new challenge, we want to know what has been um, achieved and you want to know what you want to achieve. And certainly that was from that moment, that was my main goal. And, and probably the character, if I'm going to give it some, something, I'm going to give it a hundred percent or I'm not going to give it at all. So at that moment, I suppose I committed to that, but I think also to the young listeners out there, I think it's important that we realize that we will at some stage of our lives, if not, if it hasn't happened to this, you know, up to this point of of their lives, that someone will tell you you can't or you won't be able to do something. And you can be one of two people. You can be the person who takes that advice for face value and and I suppose lets that idea to the side and and moves on to something else. Or you can be the type of person who, who has self-belief and, and does whatever they can do to achieve their goals so uh, just if someone doesn't agree with what you think that you want to achieve doesn't mean you can't do it with a bit of luck as well it's amazing that that's what kind of drove you on joy with someone saying no a woman can't do it and you were like right i'll prove you wrong well i didn't like i won't like i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i was 100 percent confident i achieved that but certainly that was going to be my goal and i was going to do everything i possibly could to achieve that goal and 
I have refed in Pro 14 and in Europe and obviously the Women's World Cup, but I'm still very proud of that moment because um, of, of the resilience, I suppose, that I, that, I, that I showed for myself. And when you went to ask this question, you obviously were a bit conscious of your gender maybe heading into this role. Um, I, I wouldn't say I was overly confident that it was going to cause a massive barrier um, because I don't try, to, I don't want to make it, a, um, you know, I don't want to make it an issue. Um, sometimes if we overfocus on things like that, then we make it, we make more of a deal than, than what's necessary. But it hasn't been all easy, Valerie. Like I remember going into a, a rugby club and being met by, um, by the caretaker and asking where the change rooms, where the restroom was and, you know, surrounded by all the players chatting, ready, just, before going going into their change room and uh and he said oh a woman after he looked me up and down and up and all the boys staring and i i use humor i think humor works well and i just looked down i said well the last time i checked anyway yeah and they all burst out laughing and he went puce really red in the face and he ran in to escort me to the change room and on the way out that same day as i was dressed to warm up I was met by another club's person, um, an older man, and he said, oh, you're here to ref the thirds? And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm here to ref the first. He said, oh, you, you sure you'll be able to keep up with the pace of play? And and I said, yeah, I'm sure I will. And instead of getting confrontational or, um, you know, take I suppose taking major offence by that, in a way, it's, it's lack of education. That, that individual never saw a female refereeing in the middle, and I used that to motivate myself to be as prepared as possible to perform and I suppose uh, share the message that it makes no difference of characteristics or um, or any characteristics, whether it's gender, religion, colour, sexuality. It's just about a person in the middle doing a job to the, to the standard necessary. And I think slowly but surely I've, um, I've I suppose, I've, shared that message and, and I'm hoping to think that the groups that you know find it hard to see a female in, in, in those environments is minimising somewhat. Well no it's great to have someone like you, you said they need to be educated and that's exactly what you're doing and Joy you're absolutely doing amazing I think that everyone can speak uh, like so highly of you and all your achievements and they seem to be getting bigger and better and for you and your family it must just be outrageous so far the achievements I mean what's kind of been the highlight so far? Thanks Valerie um I saw many like the Women's World Cup, the final. I played, played in two World Cups. I never got to get to a final as a player, but I got there as, as a referee. That was an amazing experience. My first Pro 14, that was another really unbelievable experience. Um, yeah, they, they, them two probably be up, up in the top and maybe they're, they're getting the referee of the year 2017. I actually didn't realise the magnitude of, of that award and I thought I was only getting it as uh, from a, a female category rather than an overall and and my wife, Simona came me, was in Monaco, it was amazing. Um, but, it, but it wasn't until afterwards and the reactions throughout the, throughout the world and particularly from home, I think it's moments like those, you, you see the support that you get from my, my own um, city, Limerick and, um, and, and province. And, you know, I'm, I was blown away by the support and I still am, to be honest. And it's, it's been great. It's been wonderful. And it might encourage other young players to get involved as well. And I know you and your wife have some amazing news that you shared recently as well. And you're expecting and that's a whole new journey to be a part of as well. Another new chapter that we were <laughs> prepared for, not like me becoming a referee. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm due in July. So I'm not allowed 
obviously be in the middle or or be in the, the sideline just because if there's any clashes and just the safety and I'm glad so I'm, I'm predominantly doing TMOing now and um, delighted to have been involved in the Men's Six Nations last weekend and I head to, to London now on Friday for the second one um, England Italy so no I'm, I'm absolutely over the moon to be involved in in that respect um, but certainly yeah we, we can't wait for for another new chapter to begin. It's absolutely brilliant. And I know a lot of people, you know, when it comes to their career and pregnancy, they might be afraid to do something like this because it might not affect this. But Joy, they seem to have, you know, said, right, we still want you. Let's put you in the TMO. I mean, they seem to have worked around you and you wanting to start a family, which is amazing. Well, I, do you know what? I was lucky because um, the, the, the TMO opportunity came in November when I was selected for the, the Men's November Internationals. And that was well before this this pregnancy announcement. I wasn't even pregnant. So um, I'm very thankful to the support the RFU provide me. Like it's it's endless. And, um, and my colleagues, um, a couple of which, Andy Brace and Johnny Lacey and George Clancy, all Limerick bound, um, they, you know, they're great, great friends, but brilliant supporters and um, certainly have helped me progress throughout the years. So I'm world rugby, you know, I'm just I'm I've I've had a lot of support. And I suppose, Valerie, the other, I suppose, important message is if people out there um, in positions and roles where they have power, you know, I think it's important to give females a chance because if, if they don't provide those opportunities, you'll never know whether, you know, how, how those individuals will do. And those who are ready and right for the job certainly should be given those opportunities. And thankfully, I, I've been very lucky to be provided with, with those supports and, and opportunities. Well, brilliant. And you're doing us all so proud in the positions that you're doing and the achievements that you've been achieving. But do you ever receive, um, you know, messages online for young girls saying, I'd love to be a referee. What can I do? Yeah, well, look, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get more on board with uh, from an IRFU perspective in in recruiting and retaining female referees. So anyone out there who's interested in refereeing, please visit the um, www.irishrugby.ie um, because you know, like the the friendships, the opportunities, the places that you get to visit, um, being fit, mental health. There's so many positives to being being involved and from a refereeing capacity and certainly I would really encourage it so um, you can get all the information that you need there. Brilliant and before we let you go we've kind of been gathering you know some words of wisdom or inspiration for our young listeners or viewers for this today and um, for you and all your amazing achievements I mean, you must have loads but if you can narrow it down to maybe something some bit of inspiration for us out there. I have two if oh, I may. Great. Um, so, you know, the, the first couple of months that I started refing, I absolutely detested it. Um, and I, I had to properly reflect on why I was about to give up. And Simona said to me, please, just give another three months. And instead of me giving it three months doing the same thing, I needed to understand why I wasn't enjoying it. And what, what I realized was I'd been refereed by 70 different international referees. And I went out in my first couple of games expecting to be just as good as them those referees and it's an unrealistic goal and it completely minimized my enjoyment as a result because I was making so many mistakes. And I suppose the message I'd love to share is mistakes, making mistakes isn't a bad thing. In fact, it's, it's a wonderful thing because if we don't make mistakes and if we don't understand the why, that's the most important thing, understanding why the mistake happened, well, then we, we can't progress, develop and, and grow. And particularly to the young people, you're going to make mistakes in your life um, and don't fear them. Just learn from them and, and grow. And the lastly, I'd love to share is every game that I'm involved with, I, I go out with um, the mentality of I have no regrets. So 
whatever you put your mind to, do whatever you can to prepare to the most and come away knowing that you're proud of yourself for what you've done um, in preparing to achieve your goals and just have no regrets and enjoy. Brilliant. Joy, you've been absolutely amazing. Um, we look forward to see what you're going to do next. And of course, you're taking on the biggest challenge of all by becoming a parent soon enough. <laughs> Very true, Valerie. <laughs> the scariest of them all. <laughs> you're on. You're on. It can answer with the scariest of them all. Yeah. <laughs> the scariest of them all. I'm sure you'd be absolutely amazing. Congratulations to yourself and thank your partner. You. And thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're all proud of the nation as you for all the work you do. Thanks, Joy. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Joy Neville chatting to me about a week or two ago at this stage but she's just such an amazing person to chat to and all she's achieved has just been absolutely outstanding and an amazing role model for anyone listening in you know um, if you are interested in becoming a referee she is recruiting Recruiting. I will be sharing it on my Instagram at Valerie Wheeler um, the contacts where you can do so but don't go anywhere we're going to be previewing the Irish game tomorrow and also we've Colm O'Sullivan and Ronnie Whelan after the break The Big Red Bench Come on Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Welcome back to the Big Red Bench with me, Valerie Wheeler, with you until 7pm. Now, a big day tomorrow for Irish Rugby. Uh, they make the trip to Murrayfield to face Scotland in round four of the Guinness, Guinness Six Nations. Excuse me. Um, Ireland's changes are minimal. There's three changes. Keen Healy, Rob Herring and Keith Earls are starting in place of Dave Kilcoyne, Ronan Keller and Jordan Lamar, who all dropped the bench. And the most notable selection, though, I think is Jameson Gibson Park taking the nine jersey ahead of long term option at scrum half is Connor Murray. Um, and also he returns to the bench and Munster teammate understudy Craig Casey is there. So uh, Scotland have made four changes from the side that lost to Wales after being reduced to 14 men over a month ago. And Andy Farrell was chatting to the media this week ahead of tomorrow's clash. He starts by mentioning the competition for the starting team is fierce. Uh, competition for players is, 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 is at its premium at the minute. Um, players are playing well. Players are, uh, are getting a bit more game time, coming up to speed as far as that's concerned. And uh, uh, yeah, players... Um, Players are really putting a hand up in training, etc. So uh, it's a difficult one this week, but it's, it's the right one for this game against Scotland. What are you expecting from Scotland on Sunday? Much of the same as what we what we always get, a fierce competition. Uh, it's, it's always a, a tough battle up there at, at Murrayfield. Um, we know they're, they're confident coming into this game. They always seem pretty confident in Scotland. Uh, before, before that, they play against us anyway. And, uh, certainly they will be uh, this time round obviously they had a, a red card against against Wales so uh, they played pretty well in that in, in, in that game and then the game before that was a, a special performance by them at Twickenham so we know that they'll be brimming and, uh, and ready for us um, come Sunday Cheers, thank you Hi Andy, I suppose specifically why did you decide to go with uh, Rob Herring in, ahead of Ronan Kelleher? Uh Rob's Rob's a great player for us. He's a, he's a he's a big leader in the pack as far as set piece is concerned. Uh, he's very accurate um, uh, in, in in that regard. His work rate goes un, unforeseen uh, quite a bit as well as far as his um, uh, his line running and he, and his uh, his numbers uh, as far as rocking's concerned. He's is 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 uh, an important part of our pack and he's going to lead us straight from the start. And then you look um, you look what we've got on the bench. We've got a a strong bench. Um, uh, a dynamic bench that's that's hopefully uh, going to pay to us uh, towards the end of the game. Um, bad weather conditions are expected. In general, going on what happened before in Ireland-Scotland games, will this require a more pragmatic, direct approach from Ireland? Um, I'm not sure whether the 
whether the weather should out is 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 too bad. Um, uh, he's he's looking pretty good at this moment in time. So we'll we'll expect the unexpected, like we we always would do up there in Edinburgh. I think it could be a little bit windy, um, but we're hoping the conditions are going to be good because uh, both teams will want to play some rugby. Hi, Andy. You might just tell me about uh, the scrum half selection. Um, what went into the reasoning behind leaving Connor on, on the bench? Uh, Connor's not played for five weeks, first and foremost, and Jameson's been playing really well, so he deserves his start. Uh, one of the Scotland players was talking during the week. He said he kind of knows what to expect from Ireland. Have you any worries that Ireland are becoming predictable? Uh, which Scotland player is that? It wasn't, it wasn't it was a fly off, was it? No, it wasn't. I think it was uh, Cummins. Uh, no, um, look. Uh, they can say whatever they want. Um, it's, it's irrelevant for us. What I know is that we are, we're uh, we're right up for this game. We're, we we um, we know how difficult it's going to be going up to Merrifield, but our our boys are, are really brimming for for a top performance um, come Sunday afternoon. Thanks. Best of luck. Andy, can I ask you about the balance of the back row and the second row, and how key has Tag Burn been for you in terms of? You know, getting the balance right, I suppose, uh, with Hendy and uh, James playing there as well, and allowing Will Connors to play, given that he can he can now play a bit of both. I think it's uh, I think the pack's got a bit of everything. I think it's got a uh, um, a bit of aggression about it. Uh, I think it's got a bit of know-how and nous regarding set piece. It's got dynamism um, as far as the the ball carrying is concerned, and uh, yeah, the back row um, combination. Um, uh, adds to all those all those pieces and 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 brings a little bit more as well. Um, I think there's good energy within that back row and uh, good en- good energy on the bench as well, ready to come on. Hi, Andy. Sorry, sorry, go on. Uh, just quickly, I was just going to say, you know, with that uh, the Scotland pack, uh, a lot of talk about Hogg and Russell and how sexy they play. You know the type of rugby they play. Are their pack a little underrated in amongst it all? One hundred percent, yeah. I think they're they're a great pack. I think they they've got a good set piece. Um, the the rucking's pretty good. The ball carrying's pretty good. The two man tackles are, are, are pretty good as well. So the um, they'll be happy with how their forward packs going at this moment in time. Uh, it's something that our lads are, um, are, um, are looking forward to getting getting the tea stuck into. Andy, just to follow up uh, on Gavin's question. It was something Paul O'Connell mentioned during the week that maybe the role of the modern lock has changed a bit. Do you see that as well? Like, are, is what you're asking of the locks a little bit different? You look at Tide, like you can switch seamlessly into the back row. Has the role changed? Um, I suppose. Uh, I suppose um, it's nice when you've got the variation within within your pack to do so. But I suppose any any um, given game plan, any given team opposition team that you're playing against, uh, it's nice to have those options and those variations. You know, um, I suppose you, you look at our pack and it's quite dynamic. It's mobile. It's aggressive. Um, it's big as well. It's big as well. So we're, we're quite happy with that. All right, that was Andy Farrell chatting ahead of it. Excuse me, the rugby interrupted, but it is full time. England 23, France 
20. Um, let's take a listen. Full time here at Twickenham where it's finished. England 23, France 20. And what a finish to this game. Only a shame that there were no fans in here to see it. It was a late try from Maro Atoje, who was judged to have touched it down, done just enough to ground the ball following a lengthy video review. Earlier, England had fallen behind after just the first couple of minutes through Antoine Dupont, hitting back though through Anthony Watson's try on his 50th cap. Then Damien Penno crossed the line just before the break for the French to set up a nervy finish. But it's Eddie Jones' side who have come out on top to restore some pride, even though they can't win the Six Nations anymore. England 23, France 20. That was George Alderman there for us at Twickenham. Also, it is half-time and Burnley, let's take a listen. Can we take a listen to this? It's Everton 1, Burnley 2 and the hosts on course for a 10th league defeat here this season. It was Chris Wood who fired the visitors in front from 18 yards out after good work from McNeil down this left-hand side side. Then it got worse for Everton 10 minutes later. McNeil himself this time curling home a beauty from 20 yards out into the top left hand corner. Then Goodmanson hit the post from 20 yards out before Everton got back into the game just after the half hour mark. Tom Davis's cross headed home by Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Then Calvert-Lewin headed over as Everton looked to get an equaliser and late on in the half a real blow for the hosts when Jordan Pickford had to go off to be replaced by João Virginia who's on for his Premier League debut. At half time it's Everton and one Burnley two. That's Shane Pinnington there for the Goodison Park earlier on. He sent that down. Thanks, Shane. Now, back to tomorrow, as I mentioned. Ireland are in action in Murrayfield tomorrow. So we have legendary Irish captain and now forwards coach Paul O'Connell chatting this week ahead of tomorrow's game. He starts by talking about the impact on the line-out. Yes, I think some parts of it have been good, some parts of it have been poor. Um, we've managed to give away a few penalties through... Uh, so, some sloppy uh, defence on our behalf which has I suppose given the opposition access into the game and uh, you know that that's one of the big things you, you, you don't want to do you want to put pressure on opposition balls certainly but you know you don't want to be giving away penalties which we have once or twice um, but it's been good the, the calling's been good the players were really impressive the way they they take ownership and they they run the operation so you're just trying to facilitate them and trying to um I suppose trying to help them see uh, what you can see with the benefit of a video. You know, you want to be able to, you want them to be able to see it under pressure in a game and see it quickly and, and call it quickly, whether that's defensively or in attack. But um, the group are great, particularly the second rows. You know, everyone, Alton Delan, Ryan Baird, since he's come in, is really diligent. Um, James uh, and Hendy have been doing it a long time and are. They're, they're very good to, to, to be prepared um, and Ty Byrne assisting them as well. So um, it's been enjoyable working with them. They, they um, you know, they've a massive appetite for work. The second rows in the group, they tend to do a, an awful lot of video. They tend to prepare a lot. They tend to think about the other guys who line out isn't the be all and end all of their week. They try and simplify things for them. So uh, it's been great working with them. You're trying to simplify things all the time and you're trying to see things very quickly, you know, and and very often the only way you can see things quickly and and call it quickly is is experience. It's seeing it time and time again. Um, If the only way you get the experience is, is is by doing it, it can take a long time so you know you tend to do a lot of walkthroughs you tend to watch a lot of footage and try and ask questions um, and uh, and that's how they enjoy learning you know the players enjoy talking things through 
uh, being challenged, challenging each other. Um, and, and, you know, that's a bit of a challenge for me at times. You know, you, you, you want to jump in with the answer yourself a lot. Um, you know, even I was watching John Fogarty today when the scrums finished, he just, he just sat back and, and left the players talk for about 60 seconds before he, he, he said anything himself because, uh, you know, they know how to solve the problems themselves very often. And, and if they don't, the guy beside them probably does. So, uh, it's about them trying to learn how to do that themselves. And then you can offer an opinion afterwards with the benefit of a video. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. I mean, it's very intense. The hours are long. Um, um, you know, you, you, we have very little time as well. You, you'd love to have more time with the players, even in the working week. It's just, it's a constant, I suppose, discussion with Andy around how much time you're going to get with the players. But that time restriction is probably what makes you keep things simple. It makes you uh, stick to what's relevant rather than trying to cover off everything because you don't know what a team are going to do from week to week either. You just have to be able to prepare for the unexpected um, so so that's probably the biggest challenge I think is is just trying to get time with the players trying to uh, trying to prepare for uh, I suppose that the the critical few moments in the game rather than trying to cover everything um, and, and sometimes you have to go to into a game knowing you haven't everything covered off and knowing that the players are clever enough to solve problems uh, on the go, but I, I must say I find that really challenging. I think it's a, it's a, it's a challenge for every young coach is to want to cover everything, and and Andy is good at putting the reins on that. I think every game is is a litmus test. You know, the first game against Wales was was incredible. I couldn't believe, uh, you know, after 15 minutes we were we probably lost. You know, one of the best line out jumpers um, in 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 the Six Nations. Um, so it's been a, a real challenge around every single corner. But there's no doubt Scotland are an excellent side. Um, I think any team that's coached by Gregor Townsend always attacks really well. And, and going back to his Glasgow days, they always have an incredibly physical edge. You know, you, you think sometimes if a coach is into attack, his teams won't have a physical edge. But every single Glasgow team I played back in the day were excellent attacking sides, but they were physical as well. And it's the same with this Scottish team now. Um, you know, so much of the good attack, I think, in the Autumn Nations and in the start of the Six Nations has come from Scotland. Um, and then they're very, very physical as well. You know, it was a fantastic performance by them against uh, England in the first game. Excellent set piece performance, which laid a real solid foundation for them to go on and win. So, um, so it is. It's a massive test. You know, these next two weeks against uh, a resurgent, confident Scottish side and, and an English side that we struggled against in recent months and years. Um, it's a real tough challenge out the last two weeks. All right, that was Irish former Irish captain and now forwards coach Paul O'Connell chatting this week to the media ahead of tomorrow's game. Um, in just a little bit, if I have time, I will play Johnny Sexton about he was chatting about the Lions and facing Scotland tomorrow and he was also asked about the disappointment about only getting a one-year deal from the IRFU and not two. So if I have time towards in the show, I'll play that and if not, it'll be on the podcast later on at about 10 past 7 on the big red bench. But now it's time to look ahead to another big weekend in the 
the Premier League with sportsnation.bet. Uh, Colm O'Sullivan has been looking ahead to all of tomorrow's games at Ireland and Liverpool legend Ronnie Whelan, starting with Leicester City and Sheffield United and the news that Chris Wilder had left United ahead of the game. He's done a great job there. They, they more or less said they weren't going to get rid of him unless he wants to walk away. But you, you cannot see past Leicester in this one. Um, they're playing fairly well, Leicester. They're in the top four and they want to get Champions League spot again. Um, so, yeah, you would have to say Leicester. They'll be, one, they'll be part of them a bit when, when, when we talk about it. But, yeah, Leicester, Brandon Rodgers has done a great job there as well. So we would go with Leicester winning there. Then you've got Arsenal Spurs, North London Derby, a huge game on a Sunday afternoon, the, the big Super Sunday game on Sky. And, I mean, Spurs are in great form. They had a good win in the Premier League last week. They won again uh, during the week in the Europa League, as did Arsenal. But Spurs really are looking like they're kind of coming together now under Mourinho, finally, and uh, Gareth Bale finally hitting form as well. He's been great the last few weeks. Yeah, it's weird what Mourinho does, isn't it, with players? He seems to pick on a player um, like he has done with Deli Alley. You know, everybody thought Deli Alley would play every game, but the, the manager didn't fancy him. He, he did it with Luke Shaw at Man United as well, didn't fancy him. Um, you look what Shaw's done this season. Deli Alley hasn't been in the team. But then when Bale came, we all thought, oh yes, Gareth Bale straight in the team. Mourinho didn't put him in the team. He's now put him in the team and Gareth Bale is playing really, really well, scoring a lot of goals. Um, the uh, Son, Harry Kane, Bale, the three in the front... And we talked about Mane, Salah and Firmino, didn't we, for a long time. But these three now yeah. are starting to score a lot of goals and create for each other as well. So um, I think Spurs will be hard to beat. Um, I think Arsenal, although they're playing well and they've, they've, they've sort of got themselves out of a bit of a rut that they were in early on, they've got themselves out of that now. Um, I, I, would, I, I, I can see Spurs winning it, but I wouldn't put a draw out of them. I don't see Arsenal winning it, put it that way. Yeah. Um, and then Man United and West Ham is a huge game because Man United are coming into that at the back of a pretty good week beating Man City last week, very nearly beating AC Milan in the Europa League apart from that late goal for the equaliser. Uh, United have had a good week, but West Ham under David Moyes um, are having a great season, aren't they? Remarkable job Moyes has done. Um, how he's got them playing. You, you, you can't go through the squad and say they're all household names, can you? But Antonio started to score a few goals. Jesse Lingard come in and has done really, really well. It's a big game, isn't it? Man United have been on this, um, well, the Europa League game may have taken a bit out of them. They had to play a lot of the top players. He may not have wanted to play them, um, but they were coming up against Milan, so you, you, you need all your top players. They've got a draw out of it. But um, it's a difficult game now that they've had to play midweek, and now they come up against West Ham really, really trying to get in top four, which would be a great result for them. And finally, round here at the weekend is Liverpool, Ronnie. Uh, they'll have a bit of a break because they're playing in the Monday Night Football and they're up against Wolves. And I mean, the way Liverpool have been playing in the Premier League in recent weeks, you're kind of saying these games could go any way, but you'd hope, I'd imagine, that their Champions League win midweek will kind of get them back on form. Yeah, and they've got a little bit, a bit of an extra break, haven't they? They've got till Monday. Um but Fabinho coming into the team last week again made such a difference. You know, I just sent a midfielder who knows the job, who broke things up all night. If he can be fit and stay fit, um, uh, gives, uh, give, I'm not going to say they, they can easily win at Wolves, but it gives them a better opportunity to win at Wolves if Fabinho's playing in that centre midfield role. Because he let um, Thiago go ahead and play football a bit further up the pitch. And they looked an awful lot more dangerous than they have done for, well, for many a league game. They created chances. They scored a couple of good goals. 
Um, I, I think Liverpool have a chance, but Wolves themselves are a good side. Um, they knock the ball around well. They probably as well are, are starting to feel a bit tired because of the, the the lack of squad members that they've got. So it's an opportunity for Liverpool to get closer to the top four if they can. So Ronnie, it's time for our weekly charity bet again. We're going to give the money at the end of this, hopefully a nice bit of winnings, to uh, Cork Charity. We're doing a 50 euro bet with Sport Nation every single Saturday here on Red FM. And last week, no joy. You went for the Liverpool and Spurs double, as we said. This week, what do you fancy? I'm going for the other Merseyside team, hopefully. Um, Everton to beat Burnley. Everton really, really desperate for top top four. Um, Mm. Burnley just seen the season out, it seems now, because they're not going to get relegated. They should be all right. So Everton in that one, and then I'll go with Leicester. Um, Leicester at home. Leicester really, really going for top top four against Sheffield United. Should win the game. So hopefully it'll be better than last week when Liverpool let us down. But the Sport Nation bet is Everton and Leicester both to win. Everton and Leicester both to win a double again this week. And you left out Liverpool possibly wisely, Ronnie. Yeah, very, very wisely. In the league this year, I'm not touching them again. All right, Ronnie, listen, we leave it there for this week. Thanks a million. Good weekend of football ahead. I will chat to you again next weekend to preview the Premier League here on Red FM. Cheers, Colm. Thank you. All right, that was Colm O'Sullivan chatting to Ronnie Whelan. And I don't think it's going to be a win either this week for Ronnie because currently Burnley are beating everything 2-1. So that's the second week maybe of a bad run of luck for Ronnie and Colm on the show. But do not forget, if you missed anything tonight on the show, you can catch up on the podcast um, on the Big Red Bench. I'll show it up on Twitter after the show. But let's take a look. Shane Lowry's four under par through nine holes of his third round at the Players' Championship. That leaves the Offaly native in a tie for 21st now and six shots off the lead. And Englishman Lee Westwood holds that lead by one stroke on nine under. Um, some sad news that we've just came across on the Big Red Bench is legendary Formula One commentator Murray Walker has sadly died at the age of 97. He did lead the coverage of the sport in the UK between 1976 and 2001. So that's the voice of Formula One for a lot, a lot of people. So that's such sad news to hear this evening on the Big Red Bench. Now, don't forget, tomorrow night in the Big Red Bench, Rory will have the other half of that chat with Phil Healy. You heard half it here tonight. In tomorrow night's chat, you'll hear her chat ahead about looking ahead to the Olympics. I did ask her about, I often wonder if Phil Healy is a lethal woman for getting PBs on big days out. And I said to her, did she, does she get these PBs when she's training at home and stuff? And does she just show up for the big days? So it's a very nice chat. You will hear the rest of that tomorrow night. He also has Cork City Chairman Declan Carey on. He has Joey Blake, the PRO of Cork GA of the Rebels Bounty. Moss Finn, of course, is going to be joining him with the Six Nations. And you'll have all the reaction from the Ireland camp tomorrow from Scotland and he has Cork MMA fighter Darren O'Garman so there's all that on more tomorrow night on the Big Red Bench I am back next Saturday from 6pm so enjoy your week and enjoy tomorrow evening but Stevie G is on the way next good luck The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm